right, all right, all right. You can go ahead and have a seat just for a moment. Just for a moment. Who loves hot weather? Yeah? Awesome. You, you people are awesome. If you love cold weather, you're awesome. If you love in-between weather, you're either an awesome or 75 degrees is about just perfect, right? Yeah. And, and uh, it gets to be the middle of the summer, and it just reminds me of how feeble I am because in the winter, uh, I'm allergic to the cold, like really allergic to the cold, break out in hives and all that stuff. It's, it's a glorious sight. Um, and, uh, and then it gets to be 100 degrees in my van yesterday, and I complain. I complain when it's freezing cold, and I complain when it's super hot. I do not become a pleasant person to be around. Um, but it's, it's just good to know that uh, God is gracious when we complain. I mean, we complain about stupid stuff, don't we? And God is a gracious God. So we're just going to worship our King together. I'm going to pray for us. Um, our offering is going to come around. Um, we just pray and we hope that God finds us giving with cheerful hearts, whatever he has uh, led us to give. God, we just thank you um, that you're in control of, of everything. We, we uh, trust you with our lives. Um, God, I pray that in these moments, you would meet us where we're at. God, if we're good um, and, and we've had a good week with you, we thank you for that. If we're not, God, we, we trust you to meet us here and we come as we are. And we know that if we meet with Jesus this morning, he will change us. And so I pray that we are changed by your truth this morning, that we are changed by your word this morning, that your spirit would work powerfully in our lives. Um, and just in these next moments, as we worship you, God, it would put everything into perspective that we can see what is good and right and holy and just and gracious about you in the midst uh, of a world that um, not everything is good all the time. Um, and maybe things aren't good for individuals right now. Um, God, I, we bring that all to you, and we surrender uh, to your will this morning. Um, we, we worship you as king. Um, we love you, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching this and you're one of those types of people that feels anxious a lot, uh, I totally understand. And actually, God even understands way more than me because in the Bible, uh, there are 365 verses that say, fear not. That God knows that we, we need to be reminded of that truth every single day because that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is fearing something about our future that we can't control. And uh, one of the best ways to, to deal with that is not to focus on that, but to focus on maybe a truth or a principle or a, a love letter from God. For example, when I go on a diet, I tend to focus on the foods that I can't eat. And all of a sudden, instead of enjoying the foods that I can, I think, oh, if I could only have that chocolate donut, if I could only have that candy bar. And, and I get anxious over the foods that I can eat, as opposed to kind of putting my head down and celebrating what I can have. Well, we do that in life. We focus on those things that we can't control, and we wish we could do this, and I wish I could fix that, as opposed to kind of putting our head down, and really maybe putting our head down into God's Word, that take, go to your Bible and take uh, some of those verses, some of the promises where, where Jesus says, cast your anxieties on me, and you write that down on a three-by-five card. 
And so when you begin to feel anxious or stressed, you pull that three by five card out of your pocket, or your purse, whatever, and focus on that. Focus on a truth from God's love letter as opposed to focusing on the, the pain or the future or what you can't control because that just freaks you out. And, and then settle your heart down and focus on that, that verse, that, that word from God. And watch what it does to begin over time. This is not an easy one, but to begin over time to reduce some of that anxiety and that stress to go, you know what, if I'm going to live life to its fullest, I can't fear the future. I need to focus on the gift that God's given me for today. One of the ways that prayer can be a benefit during times of anxiety and stress is because prayer is the exact opposite of, of worry and, and of uh, anxiety. See, if you can worry, you can pray. Because worry is the, you know, thinking about things and trying to, trying to uh, am I going to be able to control this? And what am I going to do when? And you're thinking in your mind, you're talking out loud, you're, you're anxious about stuff. Well, you take that and you turn it upside down and you have prayer. Prayer is just a more calming way and you're not talking to yourself, you're talking to God. So if you can worry, if you've experienced anxiety and stress, you can pray. So take that same thing, flip it upside down. Now I'm going to talk to God about my worries. I'm going to talk to God about the anxiety that I feel. I'm going to talk to God about the stress I feel over these situations I can't control. But guess what? God can. And that's what, that's what prayer is. Prayer is, by faith, I'm going to ask God to control the things, to be a part of the things, to be the God of the things I can't control. I know for a fact that every single person in the room has suffered from anxiety before. Because I don't think you can breathe, I don't think you can be alive um, and not suffer from anxiety in some way, in some area of your life. And some of you, even when I just said, we're going to talk about anxiety today, got anxious. Like, it's just, oh, no. All right, so let's, uh, let's just pause for a moment and, uh, and pray. Um, and just start by, like he said, prayer is just giving the things up to God that we can't control. It's the opposite of being anxious. If you can be anxious, if you can worry, you can pray. So as I pray... Um, just pray along with me um, and just be honest with God with where you are right now um, and, and start by all of the things that flood to your head when I say we're talking about anxiety and the things that you hold um, and you worry about this morning we're going to start by just saying God um, our, our prayer is that by the end of today we will be able to um, be prayerful people and give those things up to you uh, when we are anxious. So let's pray together. God, we know that where two or three are gathered in your name, in the name of Jesus, you are there. Um, and so we trust that you are here with us. And, and we know that in your presence, people are changed. Um, God, we uh, are, are just um, people. <laughs> we have no power to control uh, most of life, and yet we try so hard. And so, Father, I just pray that this morning whatever anxieties we hold, whatever we fear that we can't control, um, God, that we would give those things up to you. So personally, Father, I just pray um, that you would allow me to serve well this morning, and I, and I give that up to you as well. Just surrender my heart to you and saying, God, my whole life is out of my control. And so often my, my life feels out of control. And so... Father, we just surrender to you in these moments. I pray that we can be still and know that you are God. And I pray that we can hear your voice in the whisper today. 
not in the craziness of life, not in the fire, not in the whirlwind, but in the whisper. And so, uh, Father, we trust you that you are good and that you care about us. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. I, everybody who helped with all of this, actually, I'm not going to make you stand up, um, but a lot of work went into VBS and these bats, I can't even, I taped up like five of these bats, maybe, and I got anxiety thinking about the person who cut them out. That's uh, just a horrible job. But as you can see, we have uh, VBS tonight. And if you um, have kids that are not signed up for it yet, you can sign out in the hub. Um, I'm not saying they did a horrible job. I realize that sound bad. It is a horrible job to be, have to be the one to cut those out. Anyway, sign up your kids for VBS. Uh, you can go online, creeksidedm.com. Uh, you can sign up out in the hub. And we also, if you want to be here and you want to help, talk to Mama Nan, Nan Han over there. What, what did he call you last week? Mama, Mama Cavern. That's it. That's who she is. All right. Talk to her. First, I want to ask you, before we dig in, how are you doing occupying your street? I want to give you a little encouragement. When we say our street, it's not just where we live. For those of you who don't know, it's, uh, it's everywhere that we go on a regular basis. It's everyone that we run into on a regular basis. We want to occupy that part of our life with the love of Jesus. And so I want to give you a little encouragement on how to do that this morning. Um, you remember the, the masked people we had standing up here? You remember Eagle Man? Eagle Man, he's right there sleeping through my message right here. And anyway, um, Eagle Man, you remember the masks up here? We had people standing up here and we defined the uh, the hypocrites of the day, when they heard that word hypocrites that Jesus used, they would have thought of Greek actors uh, that wore different masks to, um, to portray different roles that they would play in life. And here's the deal. When you wear a mask, you can do anything you want. You can act in any way that you want because no one really sees the real you. And I'm telling you, that's what people outside of the faith, that's what people who are far from God have such a hard time reconciling. When they look at everyone walking into church putting their smiles on in their Sunday best, they're thinking, how in the world are these people's lives so perfect? How do these people walk into church every single week, smiles on, and they have no issues, right? But we walk into church every week, Sunday best on, smiles on, and we know that deep down, we struggle with life. We don't want to struggle with life. I think that after you've been saved for a while, it's a, it's a common lie that we believe. That, hey, you're, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. Come on. There shouldn't be anything wrong with your life. Right? You should be perfect. But that's not what Jesus saved us to. And that's what the world outside does not understand. So as we seek to occupy, occupy our street, the next time you're talking to somebody that's far from God, here's my suggestion. Here's my experience. Open up. Share what you struggle with. You are not, uh, this may be a revelation to you, okay? And don't look straight at your spouse when I say this, but you are not perfect. And actually, most of the time, you're probably wrong, at least the men in the room, all right? And JR's like, that ain't true. What are you talking about? 
open up with people who are, who are far from God. Don't fear showing what you struggle with with people who don't know Jesus yet. Here's why. It's a perfect opportunity to share the real gospel with people because what's going to happen? They're going to look at you and they're going to say, what? You love Jesus? You go to church and you struggle with those things? My experience is it's a breath of fresh air to them because the difference is not that they struggle and we don't because that would be lie. I mean, the Bible even says if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. Right? And you've been deceived. The truth is they struggle, we struggle. Everybody struggles. The difference is how we handle that struggle. The difference is the world's way says control it. The world's way says figure it out. The world's way says go to the bottle. The world's way says go to the addiction. The world's way says go to the party. The world's way says forget, forget, avoid, escape, run away from right? Our way says, I struggle in the same exact ways that you do, but I run straight to Jesus, right? That's freedom. So when we're occupying our street, be real. Be real with people. That's my encouragement to you uh, this morning. So this message, including the next, including uh, this message, we have four messages left in the Sermon on the Mount series. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in a, uh, in a seat in front of you somewhere, underneath the seat in front of you. It'll be on the screen. It's about three-quarters of the way through your Bible, but I'll tell you this. I always say the page number. Last week, the Bible I used, it was on page 811, and this week, it's on page 1050, and it's only one page away. Like, it's only one chapter away, so that's not helpful at all. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25 to 34, let's read through that. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think first we need to start uh, by defining anxiety. Dictionary.com, of course, um, says this. Anxiety is distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. And then we put that together with what Doug Fields said on that video. It's about things that you cannot control. 
It's about things that you cannot control. So for our purposes, we're going to define anxiety like this. Fear or distress because of things that you cannot control. If we're honest with ourselves, it's time to get personal. Be honest with yourself. Think about you as a person, not about your spouse, not about your kids. Think about you as a person. Most of the things that we are anxious about are completely out of our control. And that's probably why anxiety about these things builds, because what's our first reaction to things that we can't control is to try to control them, right? And I promise you, as soon as you try to control the things that you can't control, what is that going to cause? More anxiety, right? You're going to get the opposite result of what you're trying to do. Parents in the room, and I can tell you that, and, and, and to be parents in the room, don't freak out, pregnant people, all right? But this is going to happen to you. And if it hasn't happened to parents in the room already, I'm just nuts. Because think about it. The sleepless nights, or at least the beginning of the night, where you just sit in your bed looking at the ceiling, thinking about the most horrible things that could possibly happen to your kids. I mean, the, the, the ways that I have imagined that my kids could possibly die are horrible. I mean, you don't even see this stuff on movies. And I wake, I sl- I wake up, awake at night thinking, what if this happens tomorrow? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What are the chances that that's actually going to happen tomorrow? You get the craziness in that? How nuts anxiety makes us? Another one for me is confrontation, and I'm getting better at this, just releasing these things to God, but I don't like confrontation, and I don't like hard conversations. One of the things that we, that, that, that we I, say, I say we, when I say we, it's mostly Heather, um, trying to push these things with our kids. I mean, it's true, okay? Um, she always says to our kids, do hard things, right? Do hard things. Do hard things. Right? We, have, we, have, we have this video. If you want to see it, you can ask Heather afterwards. But um, it's of Micaiah and, and Heather on this roller coaster at the Mall of America. And the first time Micaiah went on the roller coaster, he's, he was like just beside himself. When he came off this thing, he's like, never again. He was mad for like half an hour. I mean, he was just mad. He wasn't just terrified. He was mad that we made him do this. By the end of the day, he wanted to do it again, but he was still terrified. And so this video is of Heather uh, videotaping Micaiah's face. And the whole time, he's just like, I mean, sheer terror, just like, I, it's like, and, and Heather's saying, Heather's saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And she says, tell yourself, I can do hard things, I can do hard things. And Micaiah's holding on for dear life. I can do hard things, I can do hard things, I can do hard things. And he's going. And, um, and she constantly is telling our kids to do hard things. And so when I think of confrontation, that's one of those hard things in my life that is absolutely necessary, but I hate it. And so what I will do is before I have a conversation with somebody that's going to be a hard conversation, I will have the entire conversation in my head before it even happens. I will create that person's responses to my, to my responses, and then I will respond to the made-up responses that I just made up for that person. I'll have the whole thing in my head. And then as soon as I am okay with the end result of that fake conversation I just had in my head, I'm good, right? And I'm ready to go into this conversation. And guess what? A hundred percent of the time, it don't happen the way that I created it to happen. That's nuts. Do you see how crazy 
anxiety makes us. You all looking at me like, you are crazy, man. Did you, okay? Like, you're in this boat too, all right? I shouldn't have to force this. This, uh, this, this message, it, to me as I practice it, it feels like, and, 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 and this is probably what it's going to feel like to you, it's going to feel like a bunch of rabbit trails, but in the end, all of those rabbit trails, whoop, I hope, are going to solidify into one big thing that you need to walk away with. So just stick with me, all right? John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now get this, okay? God is the king of the universe. He created everything and he rules over it, all right? Let me ask you a question. What is the son of a king called? A prince. What is the daughter of a king called? A princess. So to all who receive him, he gave, to all who receive Jesus, he gave the right to become princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus saying to those people who are committed to following his message, if you really want to live out the kingdom of God, this is how you do it. So the title of this message is going to be Anxiety Killed the Prince S. The Prince S. I wanted both in one word, and I wasn't creative enough to make anything different than that. So, anxiety killed the Prince S. You know, like curiosity killed the cat? Anxiety will destroy what you are supposed to enjoy in the kingdom of God. So, I want you to write down three things. Again, breaking my rule, but these three things all wrap up into one big thing. Okay, three things I want you to write down or text it to yourself or text it to the person next to you, uh, text it to your wife, whatever, lock it in the vault. Number one, anxiety destroys peace. Anxiety destroys peace. Number two, righteousness destroys anxiety. Righteousness destroys anxiety. And therefore, number three, all the way back to the beginning, righteousness brings peace. I mean, I could just say those to you, and, and, and you could kind of get where I'm going. Anxiety destroys peace. Righteousness destroys anxiety. And righteousness, therefore, brings peace. So let's go through this passage together to kind of work that thought. Verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. We look at the therefore in, in, in college or I guess in high school too. You learn um, in whatever class it is you learn this in, like English comprehension. Um, if there's a therefore, you got to figure out why, what it's there for, right? And so it says, therefore, therefore what? You got to go back to what we learned from last week's passage. What did we learn from last week's passage? We learned this. Do not worry I mean, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And here's the sum up of it. If you are single-minded, single-visioned, God above all else in your life, then don't be anxious, right? 
It says, therefore, because what we learned last week about being single vision, single devoted to God, God above all other things in our life, then don't be anxious. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean be perfect before you can't be anxious. It doesn't mean that you have to live a life without sin before this verse becomes true to you. Because we know that after we get saved, we still sin, right? Anybody without sin, I'm just kidding, don't raise your hand, because if you raise your hand, you're a liar, okay? I mean, the Bible's from the Bible, it's not from me, all right? But here's the deal. We're not going to live a life without sin. We know that when we are in Christ, even though we do sin, we're still positionally perfect before God in heaven. But here's the deal. If we have given our complete and whole, single-minded, wholehearted devotion to God without having other idols above God in our life, then this passage is true of us, okay? It doesn't mean you'd be perfect. It means that God is your single number one focus. Without that, without that as our number one, then none of this is going to make sense. None of this is going to make sense, and it won't be right either. If God is our single devotion, then we have nothing to fear, and we can completely trust him that he will provide everything that we need. And then it goes on. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That phrase, do not be anxious about your life, in the King James Version, reads this. Take no thought for your life. I mean, it literally means don't even worry about it. I hear it like that. Don't even worry about it. You know, that's when I say that. It just comes out like that. I don't know. Don't even worry about it. It's not a big thing right? When we put God at the center of our focus, and he is above everything else, then we can literally live every single day saying, I ain't going to worry about it. I have nothing to fear. Talk about freedom. (laughs) Talk about freedom. I mean, most of us, we say God offers peace, and we're like, salivating at the thought of peace in our lives because you haven't been you haven't felt peace in so long because you're held captive to things that satan is daily continually feeding you and you haven't felt peace even though you've been a christian for 20 years you don't feel peace i want you to think about this as a middle-class american me And a lot of the people in this room, where you are right now is where God has you. You live in central Iowa. And in central Iowa, there is a certain standard, a cost of living that has been set for a middle class family to survive, right? Now, in Connecticut, that is boom, it's way up here. The cost of living on either coastline is way higher than it is in central Iowa. We live in a great place um, to raise a family. Now, get this, everybody... uh, Francis Chan. Anybody know Francis Chan? Not, I mean, maybe you know him personally, um, but a lot of us have done uh, Francis Chan studies, book studies. He's written a couple of great books. And uh, this guy, he, of all of the preachers that I follow, this guy, like nobody else, puts into practice what he preaches, okay? So he pastored a church called Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley, California, okay? If Iowa is here, Simi Valley, California, for standard of living, cost of living is, I mean, just, just high, right? Um, he has a family of six of his own, 
and he also had at one time living with him, his family of six, two to three exchange student high school students that lived with him. So eight to nine people that he was responsible for in his home. They determined, they determined a bottom line as to how much money they needed to make every year to support eight to nine people in a middle class home in Simi Valley, California. They decided that they needed to make $50,000 a year to support that. Let me put it into perspective for you. $50,000 a year for a household income still in Iowa qualifies you for low or for uh, reduced lunch for your kids. That's in Iowa. All right, I got nothing. All right, that's in Iowa. Simi Valley, California, that, I don't know what that number is, probably 80,000. He determined that every single penny that they made after $50,000 would not go into savings. It was given away. It was given away. Francis Chan has written several, at least two, best-selling books. And by my best guess, he's a millionaire. $50,000, everything beyond that he gave away. Now, I'm not telling you this as a pres prescription for you. I'm telling this as a description of what one man did. But the question I do have for us, especially me, is if I have determined that right here at the top of this podium... My family, my life in central Iowa, that is my cost of living. That is my standard of living. That's my need. Okay, notice I said that's my need. That is my need. And yet, how many of us have set our standard of living based on our want, and it's here? Right? And Jesus, in this passage, is saying that if you are single-hearted, wholly devoted to God without idols before God in your life. You have nothing to fear because he will provide everything that you need. And yet too many of us, or I should ask how many of us, have taken this passage and expected God to provide for everything in between what we need and what we want. I can promise you that that's nowhere in the Bible. He's not just going to give you everything you want. He will provide everything you need. But here's the cool part about it. Is everything between here and here, right? If I am singly, wholehearted, devoted to God, that's not going to matter. None of that will even enter my mind as important in life because it's like, hey, I won't even worry about it. Because I don't care about all those other things if God's not getting the glory in my life, right? And that's a big old, what I just told you, that's a big old slap to my own face, right? Because I spend way too much time worrying about what I want rather than I need and worrying about my own comfort rather than what I need and being content with what Paul says, I am content with food and with clothing, and that's it because I'm pressing on toward the goal in Christ Jesus. Now, at the same time, we are... If you're in Christ, you're a prince and princess in the kingdom of God. So God's deepest desire for you is that you have an abundance even while here on earth. The question is, how do we define what an abundance 
looks like. We go on, and verse 26 reminds us of how we should think about how God feels about us. It says, think about, look at the birds. Okay, this is a perfect time of year, I think, for this passage. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field, the flowers. Look at the grass. I was walking on the path back here behind church um, the other day, just thinking about this message. And, uh, and I'm walking, and I'm seeing all the trees. I'm seeing all the shrubs. I'm seeing the weeds. I'm seeing the grass. I'm seeing all of it. And, and, and I'm thinking... Man, this stuff lives and dies, and most people have no care for it at all. I mean, there's a sidewalk right through the woods here. All of that, the, the grass is just there to be eaten. The plants are just there to be eaten by animals. And I'm thinking, how incredibly more important am I, one single person, than this blade of grass you pick up a blade of grass, maybe you should do this when you get home, but you pick up a blade of grass when you get home and look at all the little marks on it. It looks like from a distance all of the other blades of grass right next to you, but you pick it up and you look at all the marks on that and you know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus, its creator, knows every single mark on that piece of grass. And guess what? That piece of grass does not have a soul. You do. That's incredible to me. In verse 30, it, it says grass. It refers to grass that is alive one day and the next day thrown into the oven. This is what that's referring to. It's referring to, to tall grass or wheat that is specifically used to be cooked for bread. It's even God's creation in the grass in the lilies of the field, in the birds, all of that is created for our pleasure, even to meet our needs. God uses it to meet our needs. Why? Because you are so much more important to God than the rest of his creation. He loves it all, but you are the most important. Why? Because he saw fit to give you a soul that was meant to connect with him in relationship. He says he is zealous for you. He's not only zealous for you, he is jealous for you. He wants, he desires, he longs for relationship with you. And so when we look at creation, we're meant to look at creation and say, man, that is amazing. That is beautiful. And it doesn't even compare to me. That's not prideful. That's worshipful. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I'm currently doing a, uh, a study by Beth Moore called Breaking Free. A number of the women here have done that. And my wife has continually, you should do it. You should do it. You should do it. You should do it. Not, not that. She's like, I did not push that hard. Come on. It's just in my head. I feel like she pushed that hard. So I broke down and did it. Okay? I'm in the middle of it. And um, it, is, it is amazing. It really is. But in, uh, it's, it's this thing where every day you have something to do. And it's a, it's a bunch of weeks. I don't even know how many weeks study it is. But um, in week two, she discusses some of the benefits of, leaving, of living in complete freedom and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. 
And then in week three, she discusses obstacles in the way of each of those benefits. Now, in week two, one of the benefits that she puts forward in living, of living in complete freedom in Jesus is this. Living in complete freedom in this, you have the benefit of experiencing God's peace. Okay? So that is a place that is available to us to live all the time. <laughs> that we experience God's peace. The opposite of peace is anxiety. The opposite of peace is anxiety. The biggest obstacle to experiencing God's peace, according to Beth Moore, and I agree with her, is the obstacle of prayerlessness. The obstacle of prayerlessness. Hang with me for a second. Verse 33 goes on to say, but seek first. Essentially it's saying, instead of the alternative, what we just laid out, instead of being anxious, okay, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. In the original language, seeking his righteousness implies this, a yielding or a surrendering to a higher authority. Because here's the deal. God is your creator. God is holy. God is just. God is worth being worshipped, right? God makes the rules. God determines what gives you peace. Seeking his righteousness is us yielding to a higher authority. And prayer is proof of us continually yielding to a higher authority. Here's the deal. If I never pray, what proof is there in my life that I am willing to yield to God's higher authority? Right? If I never ask God for anything, if I never pray and surrender my will to God's will, Where's the proof in my life that I am even willing to say, God, you are the king of my life, and in these hard, anxious situations where I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from, where I lost my job, where I have no idea how much, how this money that I have right here is going to cover the next bills, if I don't pray, where's the proof in my life that I'm surrendering those worries to God? And this is not a righteousness in the sense of earned righteousness. I want to be clear about that. It is not earned righteousness because much of the Bible tells us that righteousness, as far as God is concerned, being right with God is impossible to earn. And working for righteousness would be legalism, right? And in this study, she presents the, that legalism is the biggest obstacle in the way of the benefit of enjoying God's presence, because you're always worried about following the rules in the right way to be right with God, which you will never, ever be able to do. So being right with God from that standpoint becomes impossible, and so you enter this deadly cycle that will be impossible to get out of without a complete surrender to the authority of God as your higher authority. So here's how it all wraps up. Here's the bow on the gift. When, G when you came to Jesus, and if you're not here yet, this is what is offered to you. When you come to Jesus for salvation, you're given the right 
to become sons and daughters of God. And sons and daughters of God, God being the king of the kingdom that you were born into, you become a part of, make it personal, you become a part of the royal family and receive all the benefits of the kingdom of God. One of the benefits of that kingdom is that you no longer have to worry. Don't even think about it. That you don't even have to worry about the things that you can't control. Imagine the freedom in your life never having to worry about the things that are out of your control. How different would your daily life be? And because Jesus, our brother and our king, promised that his Father in heaven knows everything that we need before we even ask for it. Now we're able to live our lives without even thought of the things that we can't control. We're offered real freedom and we're offered real peace. How do we claim that? Where do we go from here? What do we do from here with that truth? Because you could sit here and be like, okay, I know that's true. But I knew that was true before you started yapping this morning, right? How do I do it? The truth is, positionally, we are made free and put at peace with God when we come to Jesus to save us. But daily, most of us don't live in that freedom. Most of us, including myself, struggle to know peace. And we live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Some of us more than others. Seeking his kingdom means seeking his righteousness, which means it is a daily surrendering to a higher authority. That's why the biggest obstacle to knowing God's peace is prayerlessness. Because when we live a life without constant communication to the only one, that can give us freedom, to the only one that can give us peace, to the only one that can set us free from fear of things that we cannot control. We'll have no choice but to worry if we live a life of prayerlessness. We'll have no choice but then go and try to control these things in our lives that we have no ability to control. And the cycle keeps going and going and going. When we pray, we surrender it all to his capable, loving hands. And then we let go. Right? Freedom is really the sense that, hey, <laughs> I don't have to work. I don't have to work. I don't have to work anymore for what I've been given. I'm going to pray for us, and then Bob is going to come up, and he's going to lead us into a time of communion. And again, during our time of communion, I want you to think about where you are at and what you are willing to surrender to God, your higher authority. And when I say pray, just start there. From right here, from today, start there. You know, there's no, there's no like, way you should say it, Okay. You just come to God and you say, God, I'm anxious about dot, dot, dot. God, I'm worried about dot, dot, dot. God, I can't control this, but I'm trying to. Free me of that. Just start talking to him and then rest in his peace.
So I'm going to pray right before Bob comes up and, and kind of leads us into communion. God, thank you so much that, we have, that freedom is offered in your name, that we can be at peace. And God, I know that in my heart, I'm thirsty for peace. I'm hungry for peace. Um, God, and I would love to live in the freedom of no anxiety over the things I can't control. So I surrender that to you right now. I pray for every heart in this room that they would surrender that to you. God, we leave our anxieties at the foot of the cross because you care for us. As princes and princesses in your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we prepare to take communion, communion is something that was put in place by Jesus himself. And he gave us this bread and the juice to remind us of his body that was given for us, the sacrifice he made for sin. And it's something that as we do, we look back. And so in the context of Nick's message, I was thinking about the, when the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they lived in the land of Israel, they would go periodically to Jerusalem. There were some things they could do in their hometowns, in their own homes, but they would periodically go to Jerusalem, and one of the things they would do is make offerings there. And those offerings were for sin, but they really didn't take care of sin, as we find out later. And they were things that were symbols of the cross of Jesus. So what they were doing, going to Jerusalem, was a little bit parallel to what we're doing this morning as we come and take communion, because they were looking forward to the cross that was to come. We're looking back to the cross that has passed. And one of the things um, that they did on their way to Jerusalem was they had these 15 songs that were written. They're called the Songs of Ascent, and they're in the Bible. And one of them is Psalm 131. I'm going to just read that with you this morning um, because it, it really fits in with what Nick has talked to us this morning about as we prepare to remember the cross. It's called a song. It is a song of a sense, and it's written by David. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So you have that picture there of them on their way to make their, their um, offerings, which were a symbol of the cross, where they're going along and they're on their way to Jerusalem laying down these things that they couldn't control. And that's what we need to do this morning as we, as we come up to the table in the back or either of the tables up here. Take a minute or two, as Nick said, to lay down those anxieties and just say this to the, to the Lord. Lord, these things are beyond me. I lay them down, and I'm not going to occupy myself with them, but I'm going to hope in the Lord from this time forward. So in this little symbol of a weaned child, you know, babies, they, they just want to be fed and sleep, and that's about all they, they accomplish. But as they're weaned, other things enter into their life, and they're not worried as much. They shouldn't be. We shouldn't be so worried about our food. We should be about the kingdom of God, as Nick reminded us. So uh, this morning, let's lay some of those things down. Let's lay all of these things down 
come forward and truly remember and thankful that God has given us these things that are constant reminders. But even reminders sometimes fail us. Friday I brought my lunch to work, put it in the refrigerator, and I didn't need it. So I was going to bring it home with me because they clean, they throw everything away that's in the fridge over the weekend. So I put my watch from my left arm to my right arm so that I would remember before I left to go get my lunch and bring it home. Well, then I thought about something else I needed to remember. So I thought, well, I, I've got my reminder on my right arm, so I'll remember that. And something else, and something else. And so that became a reminder for multiple things through the afternoon. And as I was on my way home driving down the street, I noticed my watch was on my right arm, and I realized I forgot. So I had a constant reminder, but I forgot what I was supposed to remember. And so just because we come up and take the bread and the juice this morning doesn't mean we're remembering. We need to let those things go and remember this morning while we take this bread and this juice. Let's give thanks for it now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you this morning for this bread that speaks of your body given for us and broken on the cross there. And the juice that speaks of your blood shed on the cross for us. I just pray for each one of us this morning in these next minutes while we sit in our chairs and then come forward to take the bread and the juice that we would just lay these things down. These things that are too much for us, but they're not too much for you. And that we would just focus this morning and remember the cross of Jesus. We give thanks in his precious name. God, we just thank you. We thank you that we can be at complete peace in the name of Jesus. That when you saved us to heaven for eternity, you didn't just save us to heaven for eternity, God, but you wanted us to live an abundant life here on earth. You want us to know that we are so much more important to you than all the rest of your creation. And so, God, I pray that every heart as we sing this again, oh, how you love us. Every heart in this room would be able to sit in the peace and the freedom that only the name of Jesus brings. God, we love you and we need you. Yeah, he loves us. Oh. 